This morning we're going to look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. Look at the end of the chapter. Uh, we, we did the first part of the chapter last week. Uh, we're going to back up and look at just a couple of those verses again. So we'll start in verse 11. And the text is printed there in the bulletin for you. Um, so it's a, it's a passage about the baptism of Jesus. That's a, uh, that's a confusing subject. It was confusing for John the Baptist himself when Jesus came to him asking to be baptized. Uh, it was confusing to John the Baptist. I, I remember a few years ago uh, in our presbytery meeting, uh, which I just talked about. We've got one coming up this week. Uh, um, There's a, a ruling elder from a church stood up in, uh, in presbytery among all the pastors and elders and, uh, and said that in decades of hearing good preaching, he'd never heard a good explanation of the baptism of, of Jesus Christ. What is the meaning? What's the significance of it? Uh, so obviously, Jesus thought it was important to be baptized by John. He insisted on it. <clears throat> and, uh, and the gospel writers, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, thought it was important enough to include uh, his baptism in their gospels, which means that God wants us to believe this. He wants us to believe that there's good news about this, good news about Jesus' baptism here. <clears throat> so uh, we're going to ask the question, why, why is it so important? What, why does Jesus get baptized? What's happening here? What does it mean? Uh, what, why does God want us to know about it? Why is this good news for us? Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that this morning. Uh, let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, we come to the scriptures uh, because we want to hear from you, to have a relationship with you, and to be changed by you. So we pray that you would help us with the power of, the, of your spirit uh, as we consider your word together this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So John was saying here in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his, his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. <clears throat> so this is the first time in the Bible that we have a, a clear, obvious testimony, really a picture of uh, the triune nature of God, where it's clearly, simply, all, all together, all at once, uh, testified that God is a trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one God, right? This reality it was made clear to the senses in some way in the, in the baptism of Jesus Christ. The, the Father baptized his beloved Son with his Spirit. The Father's voice was heard. The Spirit was seen descending in some form like a dove, somehow seen, somehow visible uh, upon the Son. So the Scriptures, uh, this makes very clear what the Scriptures in general uh, teach, uh, that uh, there's one God in three distinct persons. 
Each one is fully God, each one is fully Lord. Yet there are not three gods. There's only one God, only one Lord. And so this event, Jesus' baptism, when we see the three persons of God here together, really for the first time uh, visibly and audibly, um, it explodes the way that we think about God. It changes everything about how we think about God. The one true God, uh, you know, one of the things, you take it all the way back to the beginning, God didn't create because he was lonely. Because from eternity, he's been this one God, this one God in three persons. He didn't create because he was lonely, because he needed companionship, or because he needed somebody to worship or to serve him. He didn't create out of any lack in himself. From all eternity in the triune God, there's fullness in divine fellowship. He's the God who lives as uh, the Father loving his Son, the God who lives as the Son loving his Father. He's the God who lives as the blessed communion of the Holy Spirit. So he's this relational God. He's the God whose existence is love, right? His being is love. It took Christians a while to figure out how to articulate that in ways that are sort of clear and uh, precise and um, systematic and helpful, right? It took Christians a while to figure out how to articulate the doctrine of the Trinity. But here we have it. It's at the beginning of the gospel in Jesus' baptism. And uh, as the Apostle John says, uh, God is love. Maybe that's John's way of sort of shorthand talking about the triune nature of God. Uh, And this explains why the world was created. It explains why relationships are so important to us. It explains why Jesus came into the world. This God is eternally, dynamically, joyfully loving. That's who he is, fundamental to his being. He's absolutely the kind of God that you would want to have a relationship with if you knew what was good for you. Um, And he made us for that very purpose, right? He didn't create us in order to be served, but to serve. He created not so that he would be served, but to serve us and to give himself to us as a gift and to open his life up to us. So this God who is Father and Son in the mutual love of the Spirit made us to participate in his life. That's the reason why we're made, to, to participate in his life, to have a relationship with him, to live in this eternal glorious union with him. Uh, but we've got this problem in that we all sin and we've broken our relationship with God. We've broken that. Uh, we've severed the union. We've cut ourselves off from the life uh, with the God of love. And we can't even fully comprehend what our sin against God means. We can take a lot of time to try to explain, you know, the real significance of our sin and our rebellion against God. Uh, but we'll never get our minds around it. So we need a forgiveness. We need a reconciliation. We need a reunion. A reunion on a level that we can hardly begin to fathom, let alone achieve for ourselves. There's no way we can fix something. We can't get our minds fully around it, right? So if we're going to have our union with God restored, then uh, it's going to have to be in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. And it's going to have to be completely at God's initiative and by his grace. So we need him to save us from ourselves for a relationship with him. Uh, Save us from ourselves for a relationship with him. And that forgiveness, that restoration, that reunion is what Jesus' baptism is about. That's what that baptism is about. So the baptism that John the Baptist uh, was performing in the wilderness, as we talked about last week uh, when we looked at it, is the, it's about repentance and it's about the confession of sins and the forgiveness of sins. You know, this is all relational stuff for us to turn away for, from uh, sin, turn back to God, to receive forgiveness and cleansing and um, so it's a, it's a baptism of confession and repentance and forgiveness. Jesus didn't need that for himself. He didn't need to repent. 
right? He didn't need, he's, he's the perfect son of God. He has no sins of his own to confess. He's tempted in every way as we are, but without sin, the scripture says. So he didn't need forgiveness. He didn't need cleansing for himself. And that's why John is confused. And he says, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? It's like, that doesn't compute. It doesn't make any sense. Jesus is the son of God. He's the Lord himself in the flesh. He's the only human being who has lived in perfect, unbroken relationship with God. He's the only human being who doesn't need to be baptized in confession of sins and for for forgiveness. Jesus fulfills our created purpose in his own relationship with God. That's what he does as the perfect human being, the one who needs no confession, who needs no repentance or baptism for himself. He, He perfectly fulfills our created purpose by relating to God in an unbroken way, without sin. So why does he need this baptism, this sinner's baptism? Jesus answered, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, it says in verse 15, right? So he wasn't lacking in his own righteousness. We've established that. That's not why he's coming for baptism. He was fulfilling what was lacking in our righteousness. That's what he's doing when he comes for baptism. He's fulfilling what is lacking in our righteousness. He wasn't baptized for his sake. He was baptized for our sake. He was entering into, uh, this is the fancy theological term for it, covenant. (laughs) He was entering into covenantal union with sinners. He's pledging himself to us through thick and thin in order to fulfill all righteousness on our behalf as a substitute for us, in order to confess our sins for us, for us, in order to make perfect repentance for us so that he could share his glory with us. So he's doing this all vicariously. He's doing this all as a mediator. He's doing this as a substitute, right? Baptism means union. Baptism means we're in this together, right? So that's what Jesus is saying when he comes for his baptism. Jesus coming for baptism is his pledge to be with us, to be for us, so that as it goes with him, so it will go with us. And as it goes for us, so it will be for him. That's what he's pledging in coming to a baptism like this. Rather than keeping his distance from sinners, staying aloof from sinners, he's so identified with us as to take our baptism upon himself, as if he were a sinner needing to confess and repent. And he pledged himself to us so absolutely that he would even eventually take our death and judgment upon himself. So uh, J.B. Torrance is one of my uh, favorite theologians. He wrote a book called Worship, Community, and the Triune God of Grace. And in that book, he says, when Jesus saw the people going down into the river to be baptized by John, confessing their sins, submitting to the verdict of guilty, Jesus said to John, baptize me. I will submit to the guilty verdict for them. He identified himself with sinners so that he might take their place as their substitute under the judgment of God. So in his baptism, Jesus makes the perfect repentance for us. The perfect human being making perfect repentance for us in our place, on our behalf. So remember that when you struggle with your own imperfect repentance. That's something we all struggle with. We talked about it last time uh, during a sermon discussion as we talked about repentance uh, last week in the sermon. You know, what does it say about me when I continue to sin? 
What does it say about me when I confess and repent and then return again to the same sin that I apparently imperfectly confessed and repented of? What does it say about me when my repentance is so flimsy, when my repentance is so fickle or impermanent? Well, remember this when you wonder what your incomplete repentance means for your relationship with God. Your repentance is not the ground for your relationship with God. Jesus' repentance is the ground for your relationship with God. His repentance on your behalf. It's a vicarious repentance that we see here in the baptism. Just as our whole salvation is vicarious. That's how it works. If you're going to have a relationship with God, you need a vicar. You need somebody to do this relationship with God for you and then invite you in and share with with you the benefits of his relationship. His baptism. His life. His death. His resurrection. His ascension. Who Jesus is and his relationship with God is the grounds for your relationship with God. So the Son of God, the, the eternal, divine, second person of the Trinity, before he became a human being, he's forever the Son of God. He became a human in time and space so that he could live the life of the Son of God as a human being. To restore that relationship in himself, to, in order to share that relationship with us through our union with him. So in, our, in, in his baptism... Jesus was taking our humanity and reuniting it to God by committing himself to us and to God, even to the point of death and beyond, not just till death do us part for him. And it's in that very moment when he does this, precisely when he does this, when he takes up the confession of our sin on our behalf, in that moment of solidarity with sinners, that's when we hear the delightful words of God's full approval of him. So it says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That's very strong language. So it's true that from all eternity, God had been pleased with his divine Son, the first person, the Father, well pleased with his beloved Son, the second person of the Trinity, right? But now, that divine Son is also a human being. He's a human being who has become our representative in a covenant before God. He's a human being who has chosen to associate with sinners to the bitter end and beyond. And it's to this one, to that human being, that Son of God, that, that God says, I am so pleased with you. Son whom I love. It delights God the Father that his Son would give himself to us like this. It delights him that he would give himself to us and for us like this. As uh, Ransom read in our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 42, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. So, Bottom line is, God is happy with Jesus. God is so happy with Jesus. And that's good news. That's really at the heart of the Christian faith. Christianity is, first and foremost, it's about Jesus' relationship to the Father. It's not just about your relationship with God. Christianity is about Jesus' relationship with God. And that's tremendously good news uh, for us. And really, the great news about it is this. Because Jesus 
is in union with sinners, which is what's happening in the baptism, then the Father's declaration of love to Jesus is also his declaration of love to us. That's, it's a statement of love and delight, and it falls on Jesus, not Jesus separated from us, Jesus as our representative. Right? So God didn't look at his son and say, no, 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 stay away, don't, don't get baptized, don't join with them. He didn't say, oh no, now that you're united to those people in baptism, now you're contaminated, we can't be friends anymore. It's nothing like that. He rejoices over his son's baptism, and through our union with him, the word of God to us is, you're my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So it's when the son is standing in our place that the father says this to him. It's because he's standing in our place that the father says this to him, which means that these words are intended for us. In spite of the fact, in spite of the fact that we could never deserve to hear these words, I'm pleased with you, my beloved son. Through our union with Jesus, by God's grace, we hear these words to us. So the ultimate reality of heaven broke through to this world. The voice of the father himself was heard on earth. And what he said to his son about his relationship counts for us. Right? He says it to us as well. And the father lavishes the spirit upon the son as a human being. From, from eternity, the divine father and the divine son shared the spirit in mutual glory. But now, as a human, as our representative, as the one who's united to us, Jesus receives the Spirit from the Father, right? So Jesus isn't only baptized with water here. He's baptized with the Spirit who descends upon him from heaven. And when the Father baptizes Jesus with the Spirit, what he's doing is giving his full approval to his beloved Son. You could give no greater approval than to give the, the Holy Spirit to Jesus, God is saying that in the humanity of Jesus, especially in Jesus, pledging himself to us, he sees what he's known from all eternity in his beloved son. He sees the perfect reflection of his divine son, his spirit-filled son, and nothing could make him happier. Nothing could make him happier. So he lavishes the spirit upon his son. The spirit descended from heaven to earth to rest upon Jesus like a dove. That is uh, important biblical imagery, is sim- uh, symbolism. A dove is uh, beautiful. A dove is graceful. If you've seen doves flapping around, uh, they're, they're beautiful things. Uh, a dove uh, pictures the gentleness and the peacefulness of God's love. Uh, but a dove especially symbolizes the new creation emerging from the waters of judgment. Right? The dove is associated with these waters of judgment and emerging from that as the new creation. So in Genesis, we read this in Genesis like uh, 8 and 9. God judged the world. He destroyed it through a flood of waters, but he delivered Noah and his family and the seed of a new creation through this ark. And afterwards, uh, when the waters were sort of receding, uh, Noah kept sending out a dove. And when that dove finally came back to him with an olive leaf, he knew that the waters, uh, the waters of God's judgment had subsided. And it would be a new world awaiting him. Right? So in baptism... Jesus meets us in the waters of God's judgment. He meets us there in the waters of God's judgment against our sin. He unites himself to us there as the only hope that we have for salvation, the only one who can carry us through the waters of God's judgment. The spirit descending on Jesus marks him out as the representative who carries his people through God's judgment. That's what this means. And into a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth, a new life with God where there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Right? So Jesus, he's called the Christ. That's the word for Messiah or anointed one. And this is his anointing right here. The baptism of Jesus. This is his anointing. The Father's spirit of love. That's what he's anointed with. And Jesus doesn't, um, he doesn't just receive this anointing to keep to himself. Remember, he's, he's not baptized for himself. He's baptized for us. So as John the Baptist has already said, Jesus came to anoint us with his own anointing. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So everything terrible about us as sinners, he took upon himself. And so that the blessing that he received from the Father, he could share with us. And the ultimate blessing is in baptizing or anointing us with the Holy Spirit. So it says of us in Romans chapter 5 that God's love has been poured into our hearts. Picture of baptism again here, uh, similar to the Spirit descending on him as he emerges from these waters of judgment. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. To us. So because of his baptism, the life of Jesus Christ is yours. He's pledged himself to you. It's yours through faith, through your baptism, as you come into a union with Jesus, as you meet him in the waters. His humanity is your humanity now. His repentance is your repentance. The declaration about him that we hear here is, uh, is God's declaration about you. His power in life is your power in life. His death is your death. His resurrection is your resurrection. His glorious destiny is your glorious destiny. That's how Christianity works. His Father is your Father. His Spirit is your Spirit. What's true of Jesus in his relationship with God is true of you. And as you participate in his life, spiritually through faith, your life will be shaped like his. Okay? So that's what our union means. God disciplined and perfected Jesus through suffering what it says in the book of Hebrews. And if he did that with Jesus, that will also happen to you in your life in union with the beloved son. God will perfect you through suffering. God called Jesus to sacrificial love and to service. And that will also happen in your life in union with his beloved son as your life becomes to look more like the life of Jesus. God raised Jesus from the grave. He exalted him to glory at his right hand, and he gave him the fullness of the Spirit. And that also happens to all those who are united to Jesus, the beloved Son. So this union means, very simply, that God is with you just as he is with Jesus. The foundation for Christ's life, that's the same foundation for your life. That blessed word that defines reality for Jesus defines reality for us. You're my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. This word from heaven changes everything. You might wonder, what does this mean for my life? Well, it changes the way you're going to pray. changes the way that you're going to confess your sins. changes the way that you uh, think about your identity. changes the source of your joy. Where does it come from? From your union with Jesus, that absolute, perfect, forever union with Jesus. This changes where you find your security. It's going to change things like how you spend your money, the way you treat other people, the way that you endure hardships when you realize... Jesus is in this with you, and you're in it with him. It's going to change how you face things like loneliness. Are you ever alone? Has he ever forsaken you or left you? No. It's going to change the way you think about depression or temptation to sin. It gives you real peace that holds fast, even in the face of death. This word from heaven 
to us in Christ changes all our relationships. It makes this place here, this church, it makes us a, a place of joyful celebration and a place of forgiveness and a place of grace. This word from heaven is a wonderful thing to tell your friends about. So let your hearts and minds and speech be made new by the good news about a Savior who's united himself to us in baptism by this word of heaven, uh, Father's word to his beloved Son. Let that change your life. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, maybe all this uh, stuff about a vicarious salvation and humanity, uh, vicarious humanity and life of your Son, maybe it seems a bit heady or even abstract, but it boils down to the wonderful truth, the rock-solid truth that you are with us absolutely and always. Even though we would stand apart from you in our sin, you are with us. Even though our sin led to your son's death on the cross, you're with us. Help us to remember the gospel always. Help us so that this good news of the baptism of Jesus would sink in and change our lives and change what we think is important, change what we think is relevant to life. Help us to believe that our union with Jesus is the foundation for our relationship with you. We praise you for what we see here in Jesus' baptism, that you're a God of love, and we thank you that your word to your beloved son is your word to us. Help us to celebrate that and proclaim that and teach this gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.